Mein Name ist Matt Valley und dies ist der Rock'n'Roll Research Podcast, in ich die super cool, super geil Hintergrundgeschichten und Nebenauftritte der Experten für Forschung und Datenanalyse, denen sie vertrauen. <laughs> Butchered that, I'm guessing. <laughs> Now, what I meant to say is that I'm Matt Valley, this is a Rock'n'Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and analytics pros that you trust. <laughs> so there's a reason for uh, my, my butchered German here. And that's because I am super excited to welcome Torsten Mueller-Klockman to the podcast. Welcome, Torsten. Thanks a lot, Matt. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So Torsten is currently uh, the marketing science lead at uh, Meta covering the DAC countries, uh, which of course is Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, right? Correct. Uh, and he's been at Meta slash Facebook for seven years now, but Torsten and I first met uh, years ago when we were both at GFK. And uh, I believe we were in a, uh, we were in a pub in Hamburg and probably a few pints in when the talk turned to metal. <laughs> we started talking metal and then we started sharing old band stories and I don't forget those things very quickly. So I'm super excited to get into that and more on today's podcast. So welcome Torsten. Thanks, thanks so much. Um, yeah, great, great times back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. So when, when we were at GFK, I remember you were the global head of something we call digital marketing intelligence. Uh, so you're already a pretty senior senior uh, guy in your career at that point. But let's uh, let's step way back. I'm very curious to know how you got into the world of insights and analytics in the first place. Yeah, it it was a long journey actually. So, I mean, I was back back in school. I like mathematics, so I thought, okay, why not study that? <laughs> um, but then also thinking about my future, I thought, well, I, I like numbers, I like analysis, but I also like people and, and exciting things. So I don't want to go that route like, you know, calculating insurance tariffs or anything like right. that. <laughs> Market research sounded interesting from the beginning to me, to, to work with clients, to work with people, to maybe work on... Uh, product research I'm learning about the new innovative stuff that's coming out so I was looking for that and um, I did an internship as a at a market research company a local market research company in Hamburg mm -hmm. um, back in 96 I think <laughs> um, and yeah did that internship and then stayed there as a freelancer actually developing some some analytical databases for them and met another freelancer um, who had a similar <laughs> way back then, yeah. um, Tim Bozenik, actually. And yeah, we were both still at, at uni back then, but um, he had the idea, hey, let's found a company. <laughs> and wow, I thought, well, okay. actually, that, that wasn't what, what my original plan was, but yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. So um, we founded that company um, in, in the year 2000. Um, the main purpose of the company, uh, which um, was later called Survalues, uh, was user experience research. And we okay, did yes. user experience research. Um, and I was rather responsible for all the quantitative methodologies with my math background, actually. Okay, uh, okay. Um, 
yeah, and, and we, we grew that company from scratch. And, and I think it was pretty successful, especially with the qualitative user experience testing. But then we also had clients who said, yeah, it's great. We get great findings from you guys. We can improve our online shops, which were really first steps back in, in the early 2000s. Um, but would be great if we could get some more quantitative validation. And so um, we thought about how to do user experience in a quantitative manner, because for user experience, you need to observe what people are doing. It's less about surveying sure. them, it's more about observing what happens, where they might take the wrong term. Uh, so we look for partners on that and we, we kind of founded a, a subsidiary company um, for development, for developing technology that could do that. And um, at some point in time, I moved over to that company. So combining the, the analytics with, uh, with the tech, with the IT yeah. um, to, to grow that. Um, and yeah, it was interesting because um, it was, it gained a lot of interest. It was kind of successful, but we also saw that to really, that, uh, it was, it was something we would love to scale. Um, and it was also something if we could scale, we could have more funds to develop the technology. So we were looking for partners. Um, yeah. And in the end, it, it meant um, um, we were partnering with, with GFK, selling to GFK. And that's how how I went into GFK then, and then how we met. Yeah. Uh, and and the funny thing was also that that, that technology that, that was originally meant for for user experience purposes, we quickly found out it's pretty interesting for media <laughs> for media measurement. Right. And stuff yeah. like that. So um, it changed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So at, at GFK, then I became responsible for what we call digital market intelligence. So all digital. Uh, evaluation of digital media digital user behavior things like that digital measurement um grew, grew that product group inside gfk right work with a lot of clients uh interesting clients like like google like facebook back then and yeah at some point in time uh i changed to the client side uh and went over to facebook which is now meta um, yeah leading, leading the measurement team for for the dach region germany austria switzerland as you said and actually what we do is work with clients to see what works best for them on our platform, how to make their advertising on our platform most efficient, most effective, optimize right. them so that they can get the most of their advertising dollars on our platform. Right, right. That is so fascinating. Um, actually, that created a, a lot of connections for me. Um, I didn't realize that that you came via Survalues with Tim Bozenick. Um, and and I think I first met Tim even before I was at GFK when I was at a neuroscience startup, um, you know, like 14 years ago, where we were looking to partner with, with Survalues. Um, and I, I was just struck because that was the first time I had encountered user experience. So you guys were really um, sort of at the forefront of all of that, um, doing really um, innovative stuff. So very, very cool to hear kind of the thread and, and how all that works and to put the pieces together. Awesome. It's Matt with a quick interruption to today's podcast. Now, since we filmed this episode, Tim Bosnick, whom we just discussed, has announced that she is embracing her identity as Tara. Now, Tara is a brilliant leader and entrepreneur in the user experience and technology space. And Torsten and I, on behalf of the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, We'd just like to say that we're absolutely thrilled that Tara is living her best life. So good on you, Tara. 
Godspeed and back to the podcast. Cool. So on the side, on the side, or maybe a little earlier, right? Um, you were a shredder, a guitar shredder playing in this really cool band called The Crunch. Now I have, I'm privileged because I've heard a couple of these songs, right? Uh, it's not available on Spotify and whatever, but I've heard a couple really funky, groovy, some metal, some hard rock, and definitely some pop punk, all these influences thrown into a pot. And you guys were really good players, really good musicians, super cool stuff. So let's tell us, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your, your music days. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, my music days, that, that was also pretty much the university days, mm -hmm. actually. So, um, well, I, I started playing guitar when, when I was 14, um, had some fun with that, and then some first school bands. And then, yeah, at some point in time, I think it was 1994, um, I went into a band called The Crunch with um, yeah. yeah friends, some people I didn't know before. And then we were kind of a typical setup, like two guitars, bass <laughs> drums and and a singer yeah um and it was it it never was really huge right so i i think the bands that that you played in were bigger but we we had our share of, of concerts uh in in clubs sure. in hamburg and around hamburg uh we even recorded a cd um in 99 shortly before we broke up then in, in the end uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it we we had a lot of fun and then i really enjoyed that that being being in the music scene um, um meeting other bands talking to them having gigs together yeah uh, i learned a lot i think from that as well um but um the main thing about that was was having fun like um being on stage like um oh, creating right. music so um i mean of course we had we played cover songs but but we also created our own songs and and songwriting and then stuff like that was was really interesting um and, and really cool and then something which I have to say, you know, I don't play that much anymore. And then, but I mean, when when you reached out for for the podcast, and I okay, let's 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 put the CD in anymore. Yeah, I'm a bit proud on that. I mean, it's, yes, it's not oh, it's not great stuff or overwhelming stuff. But uh, hey, we were <laughs> we were young and, and we had a lot of fun with that. So um, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> I can I can relate a hundred percent with that feeling. Absolutely. I, I totally get it. Um now I, I am really curious because I do hear a lot of different influences. Um okay. what when you think about like who influ influenced your guitar playing or your style, you know, different bands will come to mind. Yeah. So I I mean I I think around the age where I, I I started playing guitar, I was also getting into like harder guitar music. So like um, um, ACDC, it was shortly yeah. after I started. So it, it was the time when, when Guns N' Roses became big and Guns N' Roses right. still, still one of my favorite bands. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> far from the capabilities of Slash and Izzy, uh, but but <laughs> I love, were definitely an influence. Um, and then Metallica, so the typical stuff. Sure. Probably some more more of what what I'm actually really able to play is is some punk rock stuff, right? So I'm um, um, Bad Religion or some some German punk bands, and um, were always amongst my favorites. <laughs> Absolutely, me too. Love Bad Religion. And, and it was also it was the time um, that that was fun because I think most of us in the band had that 
hard rock, metal, punk background. Our bassist, who's actually the only the only one of us who's still a professional musician and, and can make money out of it, he, he was probably <laughs> the one taking the funky influences <laughs> and could really do the, the Red Hot Chili Pepper style that we all like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Those those were the days. Um, we we also had our, I think our Blues Brothers moment sometimes in clubs where when we came into a club and then people with baggy pants were running around and we came in with amps and guitars and like, are you doing hip hop? No. <laughs> awesome. And that all that all becomes part of the fabric, right? So like the those horrible gigs that you don't even want to yeah. think about anymore. It's like. Years later, when you reflect upon it, it's like, I'm so glad that happened. It's just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Cool. So you you said that um, you learned a lot in the process. I'm curious to know if there's anything you learned that you've applied sort of to your professional career or have they ever intersected one way or, or another? I think, no, they, they have never really intersected. Um but I've learned quite a lot. So I mean, yeah. f first of all, in, in my job, I, I always had to present and to stand on stages and then things like that. So, and I, I like doing that. And I guess that also has something to do with that I already liked it when I played in a band and that, sure. <laughs> uh, that um, um, what do you call that? Uh, being afraid of being on stages is usually not the case for me. Um, although, um, I think market research stages or, <laughs> uh, yeah, these kinds of stages have also changed. So I think, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I had at, at GFK times, I had a big presentation at a conference in Mexico City. And that was oh, the wow. first time I was at a conference where, where they played music when I came on stage, you know, like with big <laughs> lights and, and, and some, some rock music coming on. And I thought, okay, this is my James Hetfield moment now. <laughs> Did you get the picture? Saying, how are you doing? <laughs> now, did you get to pick your walk-on song? Could you could you pick your song? Or did, you, did you get to pick your walk-on? No, song? no, I couldn't. I I, I couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that, that's more common now. Back back in the in the two thousands, I think market research presentations were rather being very serious, and then <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Don't don't try to make it look fun. <laughs> might be <laughs> not serious. Um, so. Yeah, but but I think that that's something I definitely learned that being on stage and then and where, where I still benefit from. Yeah, and, and yeah. probably the other thing is, um, you know, playing in a band, you work with a lot of different characters, and uh, think for that to be able to work with different personalities uh, helps sure. on every job. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe even more in ours, but um, yeah, uh, that that definitely helped me for my my future career as well. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool, excellent. Um, so being on the forefront of innovation uh, for so long, and now, of course, you know, with with Meta, uh, I'm curious to know what you see when you look towards the future of insights and analytics. Uh, what's what's there for you? I think there are a lot of things changing at the moment, but a lot of things will also uh, re remain being super relevant. So I think what, what's what's definitely changing at the moment is is uh, how we transfer data, how we 
how we process data. So privacy is becoming more and more important, righteously so actually. Yeah. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm privacy enhancing technology. So still being able to work on user level data, but without being able to identify these users uh, with multi-party computing or technologies like that, I think that's... Right. That will be the future and that is super exciting <laughs> yeah it's happened um and yeah probably also very necessary um to uh keep digital at the forefront of of everything here um, sure. but i see, see um, um, great steps there and in in general what i saw in my meta days maybe even before and it's it's not even meta but i think a focus on trying to do causal measurement um, and then looking at, at incrementality really incremental impacts of something like ads in our case but right i mean something you also use in in, in medical research right so right um, random control trials and things like that uh yeah. will will keep being there maybe just being measured differently with, with privacy safe methods and then i think the third thing i i would think about here which uh might be surprising but but i think panels will keep to be a key thing um for for all sorts of things especially if it's a single source panel so right more and more big data and all these kinds of things but you have big data on on one dimension usually and then having single sources in in the middle somehow who combine data from all sources maybe smaller data but representative data so that you can calibrate all the big data sources is right massively important i think when when i went from from research companies to meta to one of these companies i think i know research companies were always worried that you know all this big data will sometimes kill the, the panel research right and i think it's not going to happen um, i think it's it's still super relevant and then super important and everyone knows it <laughs> at the moment yeah that, that's a that's a really interesting perspective because like you, you said, uh, you know, I've heard that for years, of course, as well, that panels will go away because of big yeah. data. But there, there is that power in a single source that big data can't provide. Uh, but there are also so many constraints around privacy and other things as well yeah. that uh, that create barriers for, you know, the, the ultimate uh, panacea of big data, right? Yeah. And, and maybe one more thing, which is maybe very much media research related, but I think marketing mix modeling uh, yeah. has made massive steps in, in the last couple of years and becoming more and more agile, uh, yeah. being able to to go deeper and deeper and not only to create models on a high level, but actually create learnings on, on, on very detailed levels. So I, I've seen a lot of progress there. And I think that that will also be also because it's, usually privacy safe per se, um, have a big future. Yeah, yeah, cool. I'd, I'd love to get a, a glimpse at what you do on a day-to-day -day basis because I know you see some <laughs> really cool stuff. Um, all right, so this is a podcast, right, Dorsten? And uh, a lot of us started com started consuming a lot more media during the pandemic and all that good stuff. So I'm curious to know when you have your own spare time, what media are you turning to for inspiration or insight or enjoyment? Big, broad question. Yeah, it's it's, it's actually, I guess there's not much surprising in this. So I think recently 
LinkedIn has grown a lot. So there, there's a lot going on on LinkedIn where you can actually find inspiration from. Right. So um, um, that, that's actually my source to 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 find papers. I'm I'm not directly on on you know regularly scanning academic pages or something. Um, mm -hmm. This the source to get me there is usually LinkedIn or colleagues. Um, co colleagues are a great source actually. Anyway, and so many also younger colleagues um, um who do some very inspirational stuff. Uh, right get get to inspire me as well a lot um so so that's definitely for for professional life it's that <laughs> for the music life it's spotify I have to say. yeah <laughs> yeah definitely that that was definitely a game changer <laughs> like all of a sudden yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i'm not i'm not limited to the handful of records i have here it's, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah totally get that all right um so here's here's the real question. So you talked a little bit about your musical influences, but this really is a different question. Uh, but this is really where rock and roll comes in. And what I really want to know, Torsten, so let's say you're stranded on a desert island, right? Uh, it's only you for the rest of your days, but you can pick three records to keep you company. What are those three records? Yeah, that's... It's a super tough question, to be honest. Uh, so, I mean... I had to prepare that, and I, I thought about it all week. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm a music nerd, but um, I'm, I mean, I could just pick my three favorite records. But even that would be hard. But then, if you think about, hey, I'm on a desert island, and I have to listen to that all day, so <laughs> maybe you shouldn't pick three thrash metal records. Maybe you should have <laughs> diversity in it. <laughs> so, but it's still hard. So, but but I, I can try. So, I, I guess it definitely has to be Appetite for Destruction from Guns N' Roses. I mean, that that was the the Less. record that shaped me yeah your classic right um one more that i really it might be a little bit harder but i i really love is um sound of white noise from anthrax i really hey, love man. the john bush era of anthrax uh, i i think he's he's a great singer and then and i think yeah that that record was just brilliant <laughs> yeah you know joey belladonna kind of drove me nuts to be honest i like <laughs> yeah. john bush and neil turbin like from the first album but yeah. uh okay all right <laughs> this is <laughs> up to one heck of a good start okay Torsten, what's number three and and number three, then to to put some maybe more musical diversity in it would be the wall from Pink Floyd. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yeah, just to just to chill out and come down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, all also great, yeah, great story in it, great diversity in it. But it still misses a lot of great records. Um, that I I'm not sure. I I don't think I would enjoy that that island for a very long time. But just these three records. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now I I have to ask a corollary here because you mentioned thrash metal, which is definitely in my wheelhouse. So if it was three thrash records, obviously <laughs> the anthrax record, but what what would the other two be? Um it it would be a Metallica record, definitely. Uh -huh. Um probably yeah, if if we talk about thrash master of puppets. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Metallica's best, in my opinion, for sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and then I think yeah, we should we should have Megadeth on there as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, what's 
right now I'm stuck. What was the name of that record? Um, with with um, Hangar Eighteen on it, and and, and oh, oh these... uh, 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 Rust in Rust in Peace, Rust in Peace. Rust in peace. Yes, yes. Yeah. There yeah. we go. <laughs> awesome. I totally love it. Excellent. I, to to be honest, I I don't like Dave Mustaine that much, but he's a hell of a guitar player, and and yes. the guitar on that <laughs> album is so great. <laughs> that simply cannot be denied. <laughs> so. <laughs> Awesome. Cool. Cool. Torsen, I'm, I'm so glad that uh, that you agreed to do this podcast because it's so fun catching up. And uh, next time, let's let's definitely make it over a pint again, you know, yeah. hopefully, hopefully somewhere. But uh, in the meantime, dude, let's keep in touch and rock and roll. <laughs> let's keep in touch. Yeah. yeah. Really